Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Life Church. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Matt, lead pastor here at the church, along with my wife, my beautiful wife, Tanya, um, and our family that gets to serve you. We got Josiah in the back there. Today we had Aubrey Murray on the drums, and we had Ashlyn Rain singing with us today. We get to serve alongside of Pastor Mike and Ev, and we are so grateful to be your pastors, uh, to be able to serve you in this way. Um, this is a great day in the house of the Lord. I'm so grateful to see all your faces here today. Um, we love you, and we're excited about what God is doing. And without any further ado, we are going to dive into the Word of God today. We're going to dive into the Word of God. Um, how many know that we value the Word of God? It is one of our foundational values here at Life Church. And so this summer, Pastor Mike kicked us off last week with an amazing introduction to the book of James. The title of the series throughout the summer is going to be James, Faith in Motion. James, Faith in Motion. And we're going to be talking about and talking through and going through um, an expository uh, series of the book of James, going line by line through the book. So I'd encourage you, if you're looking for some good reading this summer, uh, I'd encourage you to open up your Bibles and read through that book. It's a, it's a wonderful book. It's a controversial book. As Pastor Mike mentioned last week, uh, not everybody loves this book. It was Martin Luther who called it an epistle of straw. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So obviously didn't have a, a high regard for this particular book. But James, I would call it the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's a book of wisdom. It's a book that, that shows us very practical ways to live out our faith. Um, and the question that we're asking in this series throughout the summer is this. What is the evidence of faith? in your life? What is the evidence of faith in your life? You see, when we come to God, there's, there's two different ways that we come to Him. We come to Him through the grace of God, through His divine enabling, and we have this thing called faith, and we have this thing called works. And so when we come to God, we come to Him through faith, but also there has to be an evidence of that faith in our lives. Pastor Mike said it so well last week. He said, the bottom line is that we are saved by a living faith. Faith is not just an idea, but faith is an action that takes place in your life. There's an evidence of faith in your life. And make no mistake about it, church. We agree with the idea from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, that by grace we have been saved through faith and not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But at the same time, when you have faith in your life, when it is planted deep in your heart, when there is faith that is growing in you, and we believe that God grows us and he, he helps us to grow into the person that he's called us to be, as faith begins to grow up within us, there's an evidence that starts to leak out of you, right? It just starts to overflow in you. J. Vern McGee, the, the quote from Pastor Mike last week is that faith is the root of salvation and the works are the fruit of salvation. So as we explore this book throughout the summer, we're going to be asking and answering some very interesting questions surrounding this idea of what does faith actually look like in our lives and what ought it to look like in our lives. And this morning, we're going to be covering the subject of faith that endures. Faith that endures. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 1. We're going to be in James chapter 1 verses 1 through 8. We're going to read the scriptures this morning, then we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive into this passage. I love this passage. I'm so excited to share this with you this morning. So James chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. 
Um, if you have an app, you can open your app. If you have a Bible, feel free to turn there. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and read this right now from the New King James Version. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word, that it's living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that it divides between the soul and the spirit and discerns to the intents of the heart. And Father God, we pray that today as we go to your word, Lord God, as we come under your word, Lord Jesus, that it would minister to us, God, that it would change our hearts, Lord God, that it would give us inspiration, Lord Jesus, and direction to know, God, how it is that you want us to act and live in this world, Lord Jesus. Father God, we pray for your words as they're spoken through me. God, we pray that you would anoint them, Lord God. I get out of the way, God. I say do whatever you want to do this morning, Lord God, and let your word be true, Lord Jesus. Let it not return void. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen, amen. So, how we're going to approach this today, church, is we are going to do an expository sermon in which we are going to explore the passage line by line. We're going to read the verse, then I'm going to comment on it, and we're going to move on. And out of this, we're going to pull out seven points. And if you're afraid of that, don't be. We can do this, church. Come on, seven points we're going to pull out of here. And we're going to go line by line as we go through the the Word of God and allow the Word of God to speak to us. And today I really want us to allow the Word to to move in our hearts. I believe that there's a seed of the Word that gets planted in our hearts and it bears good fruit. And so today I really want to believe that God is going to plant a seed in our hearts as we delve into this today. Are you guys with me? Okay, so here we go. James chapter 1, verse 1. Dun, dun, dun. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. Pastor Mike introduced us to James last week. James, the half-brother of Jesus. You want to talk about having a a tough life growing up. You know, Pastor Mike mentioned this right last week. I mean, come on. You know, hey, why can't you be more like your big brother? Right? That would have been a tough way to grow up. And James had to grow up under that. But James grew up and became an amazing man of God himself. He was involved in, in helping in the book of Acts when they were having trouble with how do we treat the Gentiles. He kind of oversaw that and worked with the rest of the apostles to come up with a plan of action moving forward. James was uh, instrumental in the body of Christ in that way. And he calls himself this. He says, I am simply a bondservant of God. And you want to say, well, what's a bondservant? A, a bond slave was just that. One who lived completely for his master. He had no rights of ownership, could not hold title to anything. Everything he had belonged to his master, and he was only there to serve. This is from Chuck Smith. And so James, when he said, listen, how am I going to introduce myself? He could have said, hey, listen, my name's James. You might have heard of me. I'm the half-brother of Jesus. 
Right? He could have said that. He could have easily said that. But that's not how he introduced himself. He says, I am James, and I am simply a servant of the Most High God. See, James knew his place. James understood how God had called him and the grace that was on his life. And it says this, he was to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. So these are Jews that have, are not living in Jerusalem, but they're scattered all over uh, that area of Asia Minor. And it, we call it the, um, the diaspora, where they are not living in their, in their normal area, but they're outside of that area. And so he's writing to these people, and this is his words, and this is what he says. My brethren, count it all joy when you face various trials. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. So like I said, how we're going to do this is we're going to approach this verse by verse. We're going to pull out one thought from each verse. And so here's my first thought. It is this. Count it all joy. What does that tell us? It tells us that joy is a choice or an attitude. Now, I'm going to touch on something here briefly. Um, because a, about a month ago, I preached a sermon on joy. And this is the statement that I made. Joy is not simply an attitude or a choice, but a fruit of choosing to trust Jesus. And I said that in the sermon of Jesus in my joy. So I, I'm going to make the statement, because this is what James is saying. He's saying, listen, joy is a choice or an attitude, but I want to just make this statement to you right now. Joy is not an irrational choice. Okay, joy is not an irrational choice. This is not what I'm saying to you. I'm not saying, hey, listen, I don't know how you're feeling this morning. You might be experiencing some, some trials, and it might be a really tough time. You might come up to me and say, man, I'm, I'm dealing with this, and I've got this going on in my life, and, and I'm having some financial difficulties, and I'm, and I'm having some trials with some relationships, and there's some things going on in my life, and I'm going to say, you know what you need to do? You need to be joyful. I'm not going to do that to you. Because that's not what the Bible, I believe, is saying to us. I, the Bible is not irrational. There is a reason behind this statement. There is a why behind the statement. And Viktor Frankl, the, the great psychologist, said it this way, those who know their why can overcome anyhow. We're about to unpack the why here in just a moment. But the first step is this, that joy is a choice. And you can choose it when you understand the why of what you're facing, right? So do you get it? The joy is not just an irrational idea, okay? It's not like I'm like, you know, you know, I, I, you know I'm, I'm hammering. Ah, joyful! That's not what it is. That's not what it is. Joy is a choice that is based upon a truth. Joy is a choice, and, and here's what it says. It's not simply an attitude or a choice, but the fruit of choosing to trust Jesus, choosing to believe that he's got your back, that he's got your best interest at heart. In fact, as I was coming to preach this morning, I felt the Lord dropped a scripture in my heart, and I had to run back there to check it out and get it ready for you, because I really felt like the Holy Spirit said, Matt, you need to make sure that you bathe this in the grace of God. And so I want to read one more scripture to you based on that idea out of Philippians and in Philippians chapter 1, verses 5, it says, um, or verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who's begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. We can choose joy because we know that God's got us, that he's got a plan in the midst of whatever trial you're facing. We can choose joy when the reality of who Jesus is is greater than the reality of what we're facing. 
This is the challenge, church. I believe this is really, truly, this is what warfare is in the, in the presence of God, in the kingdom of God. Is that when you're facing something that is so real, like, do, you, do you remember the disciples when they're in the boat and they're crossing the Sea of Galilee and they're going to the other side and the Bible says a great wind arose and, and, and all of a sudden the, the waves rose up and, and all around them the wind was up and the waves were coming and these are fishermen, these are men who know the sea, they know the area. They look at each other and they say, we're going to die. These trials that come against us, these are real trials. Okay, they're real. When did they have joy? When they recognized Jesus walking on the water. When they saw Jesus coming across the water and they said, oh, it's him. And Jesus could walk into the boat and he could say, peace be still, and the storm calmed. When their recognition of Jesus was greater than their recognition of the trials around them, they could have joy. They could have joy. So the first thing is this, joy is a choice or an attitude. But I just want to, again, add on to that. It's a choice or an attitude that's not just based on some irrational idea. We're not a bunch of irrational beings walking around going, I'm just joyful all the time. Yes. How are you feeling? Great. Thanks. Every day. Woo. That's not, that's not what it is, church. This is based upon a reality that is a greater reality. And James is about to unpack it for us. You guys with me? Okay. So number one, joy is a choice or an attitude. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. All right, church, let's do this. Fall into various trials. Here's the second thing. When you fall into various trials. Number two, trials will come to all of us. Can you imagine if I just ended right there? Choose joy because trials are going to come to all of us. What are trials? Trials are the inevitable circumstances that make life hard. John 16, Jesus tells us, I have told you all this so that you have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Church, I don't want us to be ignorant and believe that, you know, um, that everything's just, you know, there's this kind of this idea almost out there sometimes that, hey, if you become a Christian, you should become a Christian because then everything's going to work out awesome for you all the time. And you're never going to have to face any hard times and everything's going to be good. And you just, just become a Christian and it's just like, ding! And everything's awesome. Everything is awesome. Right? Like that's what it feels like sometimes. But that's not real. It's not true. I want to be blunt with you. Jesus said it. I'm just reading his words. You will have some trials and you will have some sorrows. But there's a secret here that can actually allow you to choose rationally to choose joy. And what is that secret? Let's keep going. James chapter 1 verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Now, the answer to this, this, this riddle of how can we find joy in the midst of a trial would have been so much better and easier to preach to you if James had said, knowing that the testing of your faith produces incredible happiness, right? Or knowing that the testing of your faith produces prosperity. Or knowing that the testing of your faith produces health all the time. But that's not what he says. So number three is this. Trials test our faith. Part of what's happening when we are facing a trial is our faith is being tested. And, and Spurgeon says it this way. Faith is as vital to salvation as the heart is vital to the body. Hence the, the javelins of the enemy are mainly aimed at this essential grace. 
Church, if you're facing a trial today, if you're facing something that is coming hard against you, I want you to recognize and realize that there is an enemy and that he is trying to test you, to come against you, but there is a God who is greater than that enemy that will give you the grace to get through that temptation or that trial. And it is testing our faith. And here's the thing about testing is that testing, not only does it test you to let you know where you're at, you know, like in school, how many people, um, how many people in school loved tests? I actually did. I did. I know, I'm a nerd, but I totally did. I loved tests in high school because I could do the work and I knew that I had an opportunity to succeed in those tests. I don't know, I, I, maybe I'm a weirdo. I don't know. I'm, I'm probably the only one that put his hand up. Anybody else love tests? Okay, we got another one. Okay, there's a few others that aren't like ashamed anymore because I've just broken the, the wall. So that's good. I actually really enjoy tests because what it does, when you test somebody in a school, it allows you to see and check out how well they have retained the information that is given. Um, when you test your muscles, right, you get to see how much stronger or weaker you are getting. And in order for you to grow in your strength, in order for you to grow in your area of knowledge, you have to be tested so that you know where you are and where you need to go next. Right? And so this, this idea of testing is not a, a thing of, oh man, I'm, but it's, oh, I'm being tested because then I'm going to grow in the Lord. I think we need to shift our idea here that a trial is coming to take something away from you. Because this is what it says right here. It says that knowing that the testing of your faith, what does it do? It produces something in you. So the trial's not coming to steal away from you. That's what the enemy does. But the testing and trial that God is allowing in you is actually coming to produce something good in you. Right? Come on, we need to shift our mentality and understand a greater heavenly vision that God is producing in you. It's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So you can almost look at it this way. God, I really need to have more faith. And God says, okay, here's a trial. No, no, I didn't, I didn't want more faith. I, 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 that way, I, I wanted the pill, the faith pill. Come on, you know that one. I wanted the easy one. You know, I wanted the easy way to do this. Could you just maybe make it happen, just a booster? It's a little booster, I mean, come on, a little faith booster. Wouldn't that be awesome? God's like, no, here's, here's a trial. It's just like when people work out and want to grow, grow in their bodies and, and, and have their, 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 their strength grow. You know, you don't just go to, I mean, some people do the pill, and it's not a good idea because there's a lot of side effects to that, and it's not, it's not real, it's not natural. But there's also the organic way to grow your muscles, which is you go to the gym and you test yourself with weights. And if you're consistent in that, and if you keep doing that over and over again, eventually you start to gain some strength. You know, um, recently um, I started a new hobby, and it's called running. Yes, I run. And I start, I, I, one day I was with Tanya, and I was like, hey, babe, I'm going to start running. <laughs> and the next morning I got up, and I did it. And I, and I, and I, I did it. And I put, I put some music on, and I went for a jog, and I made it like around, I have this like little block and I basically, like, made it around the gym. <laughs> and then I came home. And I was just dead. And I was done. And Todd's like, how's your run? I'm like, oh, it was awesome. You know? And I, and I, made, it around the, I made it around the gym. And then, and then the next day I got up and I did it again. And I went around the gym. And then the next day I got up and I'm like, okay, I'm going to push myself a little farther. And I went around the school. 
about that distance. And I got back. I went up some stairs. I went up a different route. Okay, I can do this. And every day I started to build up my endurance. I started to press on and to pursue. And when I started feeling, you know, I was, I was tired and I couldn't do it, I kept telling myself, I can do hard things. I can do hard things. And I pushed forward. And now, church, I'm not trying to break. I'm just trying to give you an example. Um, I'm, I'm running three and a half kilometers a morning. You know, because I'll tell you why. Thank you. And it's not to brag, it's just, this is, this is the example, church, is that if you do it and you endure through, there's a reward at the other side. And I want us to stop thinking about trials as something that's coming to take something away from us. Trials in, under the kingdom of God, in his kingdom, in his upside-down kingdom, in his world where the, the people that turn the world upside down are a part of it. In his kingdom, when you face a trial, it's not so that something can be torn away from you or ripped away from you, but it's so that you can actually have something given to you. Amen? Bible Project says this way, when you believe that Jesus' love has overcome death itself, joy becomes reasonable in the darkest of circumstances. Knowing that there is a purpose in the suffering allows you to choose an attitude of joy. Okay, so you're with me? So count it all joy. When you face various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, what does it do? It produces patience. When you face trials with joy, it will produce patience or perseverance. I'm sorry, it should say when you face trials with joy, it will produce patience and perseverance. Pastor Vance Pittman says this, trials have not come to take something from you, but they've come to bring something to you. And when we look at this idea of patience, you know, obviously this isn't the most um, exciting thing to receive. Get a reward. Here it is. Like the lesser of all the rewards. Like, can I please get some prosperity? Can I please get some, you know, some faith? Can I please get like, um, you know, some super energy? Or can I please get, you know? And, and God says, No. Here's patience. You're like, Okay, great. Thanks, God. What? It, <laughs> that's that's nice. That's a nice little bit of patience there. Thank you. I I endured all that that yeah that's what you do okay why patience in the ancient greek the word is hupomone and this word does not describe a passive waiting but an active endurance it isn't so much the quality that helps you to sit quietly in the doctor's waiting room as it is the quality that helps you to finish a marathon this is the idea of patience it's that grit it's that endurance it's that sense that you know what with God, I can do all things. I, it's, it's that David sense that from the book of Psalms where he says, hey, with the Lord, with my God, I can leap over a wall. It's that idea that says, I know that my God is with me, therefore I will overcome. It is that sense of destiny that he's waiting for you in the future, and he's got you in your past, and he's with you right now. It's knowing him. And in Psalm 27, verse 14, it says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. This is this idea of patience, of this enduring, that I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep moving forward because my God is with me. And therefore, I can count it all joy. 
when I face various trials, knowing the testing of my faith. God, thank you for testing my faith because it's going to make me stronger. It's going to give me uh, more courage to face what I have to face in the future. It's going to give me the tools that I need to overcome the, 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 the challenges and struggles that are yet to come. And I thank you for that, my God, because what it's doing is it's producing this perseverance and this patience in me so that I will not be overcome. I'm just going to keep walking. Nothing's going to stop me. Come on, you can try to stop me. Come on, try to stop me. I'm just kidding. Don't, don't try to stop me. You can try to stop me, but I'm going to keep walking through it. Because God is producing in me perseverance and patience. Now, what happens next? But let patience have its perfect work. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Here's what we know from, from the passage. When patience is allowed to work, when it is allowed to work, it makes you perfect and complete. we got to unpack this because you're like, well, nobody's perfect. Exactly. And so we got to understand what is he getting at here. So again, this idea of patience. How does patience work? When you allow it to work, how does it work? Another example or another definition of patience um, from one of the um, uh, commentaries I read is this. The ancient Greek work, hupomone, comes from hupo, under, and meno, to stay, abide, and remain. At its root, it means to remain under. It has the picture of someone under a heavy load and choosing to stay there instead of trying to escape. The philosopher Philo calls Hupomone the queen of virtues. The Greek commentator uh, Osterelli says this, the word patience describes the frame of mind which endures. You know, I think sometimes when we're facing things in life, um, we have a tendency to want to try and escape from them. We have a tendency to want to try and, and run away. And what this is telling us here is that when we allow it to work, when we trust that God is giving us the strength to endure, when we trust that God is allowing us to move forward through it, that he's going to give us the, the strength and the courage that we need, and he's going to strengthen our hearts. The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I fear? When we recognize that, we can endure. We can move forward. And what does it do when we allow that to happen, when we allow God to work in our lives that way? It makes us perfect and complete. And this idea of perfection is this. Um, um, Clark says, These expressions in their present application are by some thought to be borrowed from the Grecian games. The man was perfect, who in any athletic exercise got a victory. He was entire, having everything complete, who had the victory in the pentathlon, which is in each five of the exercises. So perfect means that they got a victory. And complete means that you did it in many different exercises. Another word for that is um, to grow. I like this definition. The Greek word tel teleos, which is translated perfect, is uh, when relating to a sacrificial animal, it means that it was fit to be offered as a sacrifice to God. When it's used as a scholar, it meant that they were mature. And when it's used as a man, it meant to be of full age. This means that you are prepared. You know, if we were to use the analogy of weightlifting, you're prepared to go in and compete because you've put in the time and you've allowed yourself to move forward and you've endured and you've done the work and you've moved forward and you haven't allowed yourself to miss a day and you keep going, you keep pushing, you keep going so that when it comes time to face it, you are ready. You can face whatever it is that comes your way. Count it all joy when you face various trials. And when the testing of your faith produces perseverance, but let patience and perseverance have its perfect work in you, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Here's what it says in Isaiah 40. But those who wait, patience, 
on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This idea of waiting is attached to the idea of patience. You know, sometimes I think we go through trials because we forget how much we need the Lord. Sometimes I wonder if God kind of sets himself up to to play hard to get because we've forgotten how much we need him. And I think there's certain situations and circumstances in life that we go through that by his grace, he reminds us of his love. He reminds us of his strength. It is the grace of God that allows us to be aware of our need for him. It is the grace of God that allows us to recognize how much we need his presence in our lives. And so when you find yourself in that position, you turn your thoughts, turn your eyes towards Jesus and recognize that he is the great reward. And he is our salvation and he is our strength and he is all that we need. We turn our eyes to him. Moving on, James 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Number six, wisdom is required to know how to face the trial. David Guzik says this, Trials bring a necessary season to seek wisdom from God. We don't often know we need wisdom until our time of difficulty. Once in a time of trial... We need to know if a particular trial is something God wants us to eliminate by faith or persevere in by faith. And this requires wisdom. So to clarify, I'm not saying when you face a trial that the only way is just to endure it. There are times where God calls us to eliminate those things as well. And that is where we need the Holy Spirit. And that is where we need wisdom. And I love that James tacks this on to this passage. One of the things about this is that, therefore, wisdom is not necessarily an easy button. There you go. It's not necessarily an easy button. Charles Spurgeon says this, Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal and are all great fools for it. There's no fool so great as a fool as a knowing fool. But to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. So wisdom, therefore, is the way that we need to go. Wisdom tells us the direction that we need to travel and how we need to travel. Wisdom is that whispering of the Holy Spirit that says, this is the way, walk in it. So that when you're in the trial, when you're facing the overwhelming circumstance, when you're in the chaos, it's the voice of the Holy Spirit, it's the whisper of God that leads us and guides us in the direction that he wants us to go. And then we can know, God, are you creating perseverance in me? Are you creating patience in me? Or is this something that you're going to deliver me from right now? And then we can know. And then we can know. And we can have peace in the midst of whatever it is that we are facing. Amen? And finally, I'm going to read the last three verses together. But let, faith, let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. 
He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Number seven is this. Trust God and rest in the truth that he will give us wisdom. That he is our deliverer. That God knows what you're facing today. That he is well able to deliver you and to set you free. That he is well able, even in this moment, in this day, in this very time, to meet you right where you're at. He says, today is the day of salvation, and now is the appointed time. God is with us, and he's in control. You know, but there are times and seasons in life where we may face some things that seem to last a little bit longer than we were hoping that they would. There are times and seasons in life where we've been asking God to deliver us. Paul talked about a thorn in his flesh that he said he asked God over and over again, God, deliver me from this thing. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Church, we need to learn to trust God. Trust him that he knows best, that he is working on our behalf, that even when we don't see it, he is working that if there's a trial that you're facing right now that you cannot seem to overcome, we need to trust God. It's not because it's trying to rip something away from you, but because it's trying to give you something and strengthen you and give you the strength and perseverance and patience that you need. For my God is well able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all that we could ask or think according to the power that is working in him. And that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. There is a faith that endures when we can recognize the greater picture. There is a faith that endures when we can trust in the Almighty God. Even as we just sang there, I sought the Lord and He heard me. I sought the Lord and He heard me. And He answered me. And that's why I trust Him. Can you trust God today? Can you trust Him today? Come on, I sought the Lord, and he heard, and he answered. I sought the Lord, and he heard, and he answered. I sought the Lord, and he heard, and he answered. That's why I trust him. That's why I trust him. I sought the Lord, and he heard, and he answered. I sought the Lord, and he heard, and he answered. I sought the Lord, and he heard. And he answered, that's why I trust him. That's why I trust him. So what do we learn from James today? We learn that joy is an attitude that you choose. Again, a qualifier. It's because of our knowledge of who God is. Number two, trials will come to all of us. Number three, trials test our faith, not to take from us, but to allow us to grow in him. Number four, when you count it all joy, trials produce patience and when patience is allowed to work in you number five it makes you perfect and complete number six wisdom is required to know how to face the trial but once we know the wisdom of god we can trust god and rest in the truth that he will give us wisdom and he'll give us the strength we need to endure through the trial amen amen now i believe in a god of miracles I believe that God is here with us even now. I believe that he is near to the brokenhearted. And I believe that our God has compassion in a heart for you today. And 
This is what I want to do this morning, church. I want to ask my beautiful wife to come up. And she's going she's gonna to play on the piano for just a moment. Look, I don't, I don't know where you're at today. I believe in a God that can meet you right where you are right now. I believe in a God that is mighty to save. And this morning, I want to pray a prayer for you. I want to pray that God will give you the strength that you need. And I want to pray this morning that God will provide a way of escape for you this morning. And provide a way for you to move forward. And perhaps that way might be God's going to shift your mind. God's going to speak to you and he's going to say, this is what I want you to do right now. Just keep going. I got you. I'm with you. I'm working in you. I'm growing you. I'm building in you. I'm giving you the grace that you need. You just need to grasp onto it today. Or maybe he's going to say today, listen, come to me today because I'm going to take that burden from you. He's God. He's God. morning I'm going to ask everybody let's stand up together this morning if you're feeling burdened if you have a trial that you're facing I want you to lift your hands wherever you are says this he says listen come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you for my yoke is easy and my burden is light I wonder if James is saying you can count it joy because he is so well aware that Jesus is walking right beside you As you take that yoke of Jesus upon you, I want you to recognize something. The the one who is beside you is Jesus. And the reason that yoke is easy and the burden is light is because he is walking right with you. He has promised us he will never leave us nor forsake us. And we can endure not because we have to have the strength in ourselves, but because he gives us the strength that we need to endure. He gives us the perspective that we need to endure. He gives us the strength that we need to move forward. So I'm going to pray that over you today. Jesus, this morning, Lord God, we cast our burdens upon you. We cast our cares upon you, Lord Jesus. Father, as those that are here today that are struggling, Lord God, that are going through a tough time in their life, a struggle or a trial, Lord God, Father God, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give them, Lord God, the strength that they need, the peace that they need, and even joy in the midst of the valley. God, that they would be able to walk forward with a smile, knowing that their Savior is with them. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And today, Jesus, I pray, Lord God, that all those that are burdened and heavy laden today, Lord God, that they would sense your presence in a new way. 
pray, Lord God, that you would do a deep work in their hearts, Lord God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that they would sense you, Lord God, and they would know you, Lord God. You give them the courage and the strength, Lord God, to recognize that in the season they're in, Lord God, you are with them. Jesus, we invite Jesus. We invite the Holy Spirit to come right now and minister. Come have your way. Jesus.